Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. Hey friends and welcome to another episode of At The Table. My name is Jackie King and today is a really fun treat. I have Miss Katie Cole on our podcast today. Welcome Katie. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Jackie, so much for having having me. It's really an honor to be here. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here, and I cannot wait to just unpack your story. I feel like you are, um, especially the women guru leadership, like you've got all of the things and all of the wisdom and experience. (laughs) Um, So I am just so excited to kind of unpack a lot of your story and then even just pick your brain on a couple things. So let's get started just on, tell us about you, where do you live, um, and then maybe even how did you get involved in ministry and kind of your call to ministry. What did that look like? Well, sure. Well, I actually grew up in Montana, but I moved uh, to South Florida after college and have been here ever since. And so um, I've been working in ministry almost 20 years full time, but I would say I probably uh, experienced kind of a call to ministry. I didn't know what that was necessarily when I was younger and really started following the Lord. I just knew I wanted to, when I surrendered my life to Him, I knew that meant serving Him in whatever capacity that meant. And so I took that very seriously. Um, I didn't ever think that that would mean working on a church staff or working, you know, in kind of formal ministry, but that's definitely how it's turned out. So uh, for about 20 years, I've been doing that. Um, I uh, actually went to school to be a nurse. I thought I would be a foreign missionary because when I was graduating college, I wasn't married. And so I had these big plans to like open orphanages in Africa and wear skirts my whole life. But that didn't come together. And so um, so I ended up moving to Florida. I took a nursing job here and then uh, started working at Palm Beach Atlantic College, which is a Christian college down here in West Palm Beach. Okay. And I ran the health center there, started a counseling center, and eventually got promoted to dean of student development, overseeing residential life and the discipline system and some of the student development leadership programs. I picked up a master's degree in human resource development. And at the time, we were attending a church that was uh, growing rapidly. It was a couple thousand people here in South Florida. And uh, they recruited me to come on staff and sort of help their executive team scale their growth and kind of help sort of bring some structure. I have a background in musical theater and production. And so I was working a lot with the weekend experience, bringing a lot of my expertise from leadership and organizational systems to the church. And eventually we ended up becoming a multi-site church. And my role when I left a couple of years ago was executive director over multi-site, uh, working with all of our campuses. And uh, But three years ago, like I said, I ended up shifting out of my staff role and started my own leadership consulting business. So I work mostly with multi-site churches and businesses who work in multiple locations, helping sort of craft culture and leadership development systems for them. And then last year, got this opportunity to write a book. So started researching this topic and kind of morphing that with my own experiences. And that's how I ended up here today talking that's with you. Awesome. Yes, yes. And I can't wait to delve into um, a little bit of the book in a little bit. Um, I know that we have our Facebook group for the SBC Women's Leadership 
Mentorship Network, and that was posted in there. And so many of our women um, ordered it right whenever it released and um, have just loved the content of that. So I can't wait to get into that. But I kind of want to start even from the beginning, um, because this is obviously like been a trend really that our women that are leaders within our churches and within our denomination like started completely different. So your nursing <laughs> um, ended up becoming something that um, you used, but really that was kind of a tool that put you in different spaces to be able to develop as a leader. So I kind of want to go back and ask you a little bit about what did it look like even working for the college and kind of getting away from nursing and getting into more of these leadership roles and development and being overstaffed and those kind of things. What did those early years kind of look like? And what were some of those lessons that you really kind of picked up in that season that really propelled you into whenever you were working at the church? Oh, that what a great question. Yeah. So I think for me, because I didn't uh, necessarily grow up in an environment that affirmed a lot of leadership in women, mm-hmm. I just knew I wanted to serve and help people. I knew I was good at organizing. I could, um, you know, kind of figure out strategies. And so my real goal was always just to sort of bring my best self to whatever role or opportunity or serving job God sort of brought in front of me. And that ended up serving me so well uh, throughout all my years. Um, so even as I went from hospital work into serving at the university, you know, I started out just running the health center. Um, I The role went from a part-time nurse to when I came, they actually made it a director role. And so I oversaw the health center, kind of built that up and just tried to really serve the campus and the students as well as I could. So we went from, you know, a one room little school nurse kind of thing to a full uh, wellness center that had its own building. We had a counseling center that we started. We brought in doctors on site. We had a pharmacy that delivered. We did wow. groups. We yeah. did Bible studies around health. I took mission trips for pre-med students. You know, I just wanted to maximize the opportunity. And I think one, you know, one of the qualities of a leader is that you see opportunity, you know how to make things happen, you go for stuff. And that environment that was uh, highly faith-based and at the same time had no real limitations on me was such a wonderful experience combined with a really strong female leader, the vice president that I work for. She's one of my favorite leaders of all time. But she really modeled a high empowerment environment for me. I think she saw leadership potential in me and she knew how to fuel that, which was really to give me opportunity and resources when I needed. I certainly didn't have a blank check, but I could maximize what was given to me. Mm -hmm. And then when I was successful in it, she just kept giving me more and more responsibility. And that was really a wonderful sort of environment to grow as a young leader. I was really in my early 20s when I got that job, which is kind of amazing um, to have those kind of opportunities and even to be given a deanship at a university. I think I was 27 when I got that role. And so that all of that really sort of grounded in me some of those basic leadership principles, how to serve as a leader, how to rally a team, how to cast a vision, how to make things happen, how to steward a budget, how to negotiate. Like I oversaw a million dollar insurance contract on behalf of the student population. Those were all things that I had no idea what I was doing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think just this principle, which I actually write about in the book in the uh, bonus chapter at the end for women, I'm just such a proponent of just if God brings you an opportunity, don't get too stuck in your head. Just mm-hmm. say yes to it and figure it out as you go. It's a step of faith for us every time we do it. 
I feel like even for me now, even though I'm in my, you know, mid 40s, I'm writing a book, you know, that was a big step of faith, starting my own company, doing podcasts like this, like I've never done these things before. (laughs) There, you know, we're all in a process of taking steps of faith. And that looks different depending on the season we're in or the level we're in. But the journey and the nerves and the wondering what we're doing, all of that feels exactly like it did when I was 22. Mm, And so I I think, you know, most leaders just end up realizing that you just have to get used to uh, being a little overwhelmed, a little uncertain, but trusting God that if he's bringing you to, to a place, he'll be with you in it and how to discern his voice to the things he's calling you to versus the things he's not. And once you kind of lock that in step and keep our, you know, know how to stay close and keep our hearts close to the Lord, it's really amazing what he will uh, lead you to and give you opportunity to be a part of. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's just echoing a lot of the stories that we've already shared on the podcast that you just be faithful in the next step. And um, I love just your encouragement for everybody to take hold of those opportunities. And even if it's scary, and I think a lot of times as leaders, we only want to tackle what we know we're going to be good at or successful at. And there's so much growth that happens um, in that step of faith, like you're talking about. And so I think that's just so encouraging and a good reminder for all of us that a lot of leadership isn't safe. Um, and then I think Almost even in, none of it is right. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm trying to think of like, what is safe, but it, none of it feels safe at all. Um, um, but then also, I love just your heartbeat in it starts with service and it ends with service, you know, mm. and it's not going in trying to be the leader or be the voice or any of that. It's that you're coming to do work and you're coming to do it well and you're coming to serve other people, make other people better in their jobs. And, and so I just I love all of that. Um, So I'm curious a little bit, how was it going from that kind of model and even especially with almost a female mentor that was really kind of taking you under her wing and kind of pushing you out there and showing you where to go. And then you jump to church work and um, and church staff, and which is obviously going to be um, pretty male dominated. So what did that transition look like for you? And do you remember kind of maybe one of the harder things that was really hard to work through in those beginning years? I think the, I think most of it I didn't notice at the time. In fact, uh, actually researching this book and writing it and talking with so many women and interviewing so many women, I think I started to really become a lot more in tune with some of the challenges I faced that to be honest, I was kind of just sort of oblivious to or ignorant of or thought it was just me not knowing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I definitely think switching into the ministry space uh, was challenging. Um, I don't know if it was because it was male dominated as much as it was um, so uh, male mindset. Mm. Uh, because I'd worked in other industries, like the university system is definitely a more male orient, like a male populated environment um, with professorships and the president and the trustees, like all of those were men. But I didn't feel necessarily that that limited me because I don't think that anyone had a lid on me in that space. But I think in the ministry world, I didn't realize how many things I was being excluded from uh, mm. simply because I wasn't on anybody's radar. So yeah. um, like, for example, 
uh, one of the things that was happening at our church at the time is they we had a we were fast growing, so we had a lot of young leaders on the team because that's who you can afford when you're fast growing. <laughs> and uh, they had uh, some professors from Liberty University coming down and training everyone for like a hundred dollars a semester. They were going through and basically getting their theology degree. And these were all the people I was working with, and in many cases leading at least on projects and in initiatives. And uh, I wasn't included or invited to any of those classes. And I know that at the time, um, I'm sure in some contexts, women wouldn't be invited into those kind of learning opportunities. But in our context, that wasn't even really a thing. Um, I just don't think anyone thought to invite me. And I wasn't in the social system enough to actually hear that any of those things were going on until it was kind of way too late down the road. And -hmm. everyone was sort of like halfway through the program. And so there are moments like that that I look back and uh, first of all, I don't think in today's world that probably would have happened in the same way. Um, but then 20 years ago, um, you know, women and being in ministry leadership and especially anything that had any sort of training and development money put towards it was very under, um, represented and under noticed. Um, and so, you know, those are kind of the experiences. I think, um, definitely I had my fair share of, you know, having initiatives and leading projects on behalf of the senior and executive pastor walking in and needing to spend the first 30 minutes of the meeting trying to convince everyone that I actually knew what I was talking about and I was doing Mm -hmm. what was being asked of me, um, you know, because I wasn't the person they expected to walk in and be in charge or know the answers to questions. So there's, you know, that kind of resistance, which again, at the time didn't really bother me. I understood it. I grew up in a very, uh, very conservative environment when it came to gender. And so they didn't throw me. I kind of knew how to maneuver in and through it. But I look back now, especially having led in some other um, less um, stringent environments. And man, it is so much easier when it's a little <laughs> bit clearer yeah. or people are a little bit more open or even in today's generation, you know, two dec- decades later, even in conservative environments, people are much more open and willing to follow someone with actual education and expertise, which is what I had, maybe not on the theology or the Bible teaching part, but definitely on how to launch a campus or how to organize, right. you know, the master calendar or rearrange the parking lot. You know, these were the yeah. kinds of things I was working on, how to pull off a weekend service, organize the ushers, you know, um, things that weren't necessarily theologically controversial, but they were just unexpected that the leader would show up in someone that looked like me. Yeah. And one of the things that you had said on a previous podcast that I had listened to you um, was, and I, I almost kind of resonated with it because you're like, there was no part of me that wanted to be the senior pastor, you know? And so that freed you up in a lot of ways just to kind of run your lane. And I think that's where a lot of our women are um, and where most of the conversation, I think, between both genders lands on the pulpit and senior pastor position. Like I almost just kind of felt like, yes, you know, like she's she's felt that too. Like I'm not going for that position position. I just want to run my lane well, and I want to do it together well, right? Um, So one of the things that I'm kind of curious of, and especially because you're one of our Southern Baptist women, and you've been just um, in some of these more high-profile positions, and you've even had that in your background of knowing um, it's not always been easy, I guess, as a woman um, with leadership giftings. So 
how would you coach some of us to be able to kind of advocate for our role and to kind of push forward and at the same time still be respectful, obviously, to leadership and our pastors or our bosses, those kind of things. Um, But what advice would you give with just maybe even kind of some of those seasons to where you feel like you should be pushing a little bit more because you are capable and you're coming up against some of these more cultural or kind of traditional views of how things would be? Um, How would you maybe coach us through that? I think the first thing that I've kept in mind and that I encourage women to do is at the end of the day, we have to really be confident of what God has called us to and what he is gifted to just from him, just Mm -hmm. through his word, just in our own calling. At the end of our life, we are going to be held accountable to our giftedness and to our opportunities, but no one else is going to answer for those but us about our life. And so I really encourage women, if you have not taken the time to study women in the Bible, Mm -hmm. it is really an important thing to do because one of the things that holds women back is not having enough role models or seeing what leadership looks like in a female context, both the good and the bad of it. And I feel like, you know, one of the things I want to champion is that just because you have women on your team doesn't mean that every woman should be leading. Because Mm -hmm. I know plenty of women who should not have any leadership given to them. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, it's our job to become godly leaders. And if you're not sure what that looks like, man, God's word is full of amazing godly leaders. And I gained so much confidence from reading their stories, from seeing what they struggled with, to seeing how God corrected them, to really internalizing what that looks like and what that means for me and finding myself in the pages of God's word and using that as my main source of of inspiration of what I believe God is calling me to do. And so when I have a biblical view of that, my posture and my heart is so different than when I have an organizational view or an agenda view or something that I feel like our church needs from me or needs from women. It's just not the right posture. Does that make Mm. sense? Kind of in my heart. I love that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And I am amazed, even at my own journey, but just amazed at how little time our churches spend talking about women in the pages of scripture. And so if you're, you know, those listeners out there, if you're like me, I've sat under great leadership and great teaching every week since I was in the second grade. But once I dug into God's word myself on the actual women, and not just women, but like the women leaders, Mm -hmm. and I could start to look at it through that filter and find myself and my own gifting in that, as well as the guy leaders. But there's something special about seeing it in that context. It just gave me so much more confidence in the holiness of what I was doing and Mm -hmm. I wasn't second guessing myself. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, I think, as with any leadership, but particularly as a female leader trying to um, move forward or go into areas that haven't been um, maybe uh, led by women before, but you feel confident about it, is to go in with a, a strong combination of honesty and honoring of our leaders. And I Mm. would say, I would give this advice about any topic. Anytime you're trying to create change or move things forward or do something that hasn't been done before, you're pushing against the edges of authority. And as leaders, that's part of what we do. And that's part of why we're on the team is to bring our perspective and our voice and to push on things. But we do it 
in a way that's very honoring of the boundaries and the authorities. There's a time and a place. It's usually in more private, you know, um, quieter environments in which we give our full opinion. So all leaders, you know, need to be able to be honest in behind closed doors and then, you know, fully on board in public, you know, environments. So we have to like follow all those same rules while you, that you would do for anything else. Mm-hmm. But the honest part is not just about honest about the content, but honest about our own abilities. And women tend to either fall on the side of overreaching and thinking more highly of themselves and wanting to have more than they're ready to have Or what I see most women do, especially women who have been walking with the Lord for a long time or have been in church ministry for a long time, is that we tend to underplay our capacity and our ability. And so someone gives us a slight open door or there's an opportunity for a woman to do something and we tend to camouflage or shrink back or wait to be like pursued as if it's someone's job to convince us Mm -hmm. that we have a capacity. (laughs) It's no one else's job. It's our job to know what God has gifted us in and to build our skill sets and to go in confidently, honestly, but confidently into opportunities and trust the Lord to be there with us if he's calling us to do it. Hmm. Wow. There is so much just good wisdom in that, I think. Um, and a lot of just really having to know yourself as a leader. Um, and I love how you've been pointed out, like there are going to be times to where we're not ready, you know, or like we're not prepared for that. Um, and so I think there's a lot of just self-examination of our own walk with the Lord and what he's doing in our lives. Um, and then even as you were talking about studying women in the Bible, um, I just listened to your message with uh, the women of the Bible in the Girl Boss series. And so- oh. Miriam, you know, and um, and Esther and and a lot of those things. And so there are there's so much in there that we can learn from the women that have gone ahead of us. And that's why God put them in the Bible. Right. Um, and I love kind of what you said in that message about how pride and how God dealt with Miriam and her pride and, and some of those things. And so um, we're on a journey just like our brothers are on a journey. And um, and God is more after our own heart than he is after our leadership capabilities. First and foremost, he wants us, you know. Um, And so I love just how you're really pushing us to know us, to know our walk, to know our strengths and how God has created us to be. And that that first starts in the Bible, right? Um, And being able for God to kind of allow a lot of that to to come for, from fruition as he as he's showing us. So, um, okay, I kind of want to shift in our last little bit to your book. Um, tell us the title of your book, um, a little bit of how it kind of came about, and then I really want to chat through this sticky floor, floor verbiage because <laughs> um, I love how you describe it and um, and just honestly, like I'm just, I'm there. I am on the sticky floor. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and, um, and just kind of the development of the book, where it came from, your heart, those kind of things. And then let's unpack the sticky floor business. <laughs> well, the title of the floor is Developing Female Leaders. And the subtitle is Navigate the Minefields and Release the Potential of Women in Your Church. Mm-hmm. And the genesis of the book really came from uh, a few conversations I was having with some guy senior leaders, senior pastors and executive pastors who were actually looking at their congregation and felt like they had women leaders who they wanted to develop and release more fully into ministry, but they were having a hard time moving them forward, sort of through the leadership pipeline, or they had opportunities and these women were turning them down. In fact, I was just talking today uh, with a guy who put on a conference and his goal was to have 50% of the ministry leaders speaking their women, and he could not get anyone 
anyone to say yes to speak at the conference. The guys are like saying yes with no problem. They don't even really? need details or information. Yeah. And so um, I so I ended up with three of these conversations of senior and executive pastors um, sort of within a couple month period where they were asking me for advice on this. And there were a few similarities. The um, most of the time, these were some really pro. I felt like they were very proactive, godly pastors who, like I said, saw this capacity. But many of the things they were doing to help these women actually, in my opinion, weren't that helpful. And I could just imagine (laughs) the women (laughs) hearing this announcement in staff meeting or having this conversation with them, and they think they're doing this really empowering conversation. And I actually got to follow up with some of them in some. coaching environment, some of these female leaders. And I was right. They received it 100% the opposite of what these guy leaders were trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a shame to me that there was all this opportunity and potential that that these guy leaders and these women leaders were missing each other just through some simple communication and just through some assumptions about one another. And so, um, and then the interesting thing about these three sets of leaders is they were from very different theological perspectives, different parts of the country, different sizes of churches. And so, you know, the research nerd in me is just thinking, this is an amazing field test. You know, there there must be something here to have this diversity (laughs) in a small sampling like this. And so uh, that's really where the genesis of the project came from, is I wanted to help these, especially these male lead um, and executive pastors figure out a way to maximize what they saw in their congregation, but they just had a roadblock to. And so I set out to research. I did a bunch of research in ministry environments um, that denominations had done or Barna had done. I researched academia. I researched the marketplace. And then I did my own personal research. I interviewed 30 high-level female leaders in churches all across the country. And what they had done to sort of break through what we call the stained glass ceiling in the church world. And then uh, I interviewed or I surveyed over 1,200 women who were working in, in church ministry leadership and just their experiences and some of the roadblocks they were having and what was going well and what was the challenge. And from all of that sort of bubbled up these eight best practices that leaders or churches can do to do a better job developing their female leaders. And out of that research um, and really out of all of these experiences came this concept of the sticky floor. It's not my words, but I (laughs) so resonated with the concept. And it's Mm. one of the most popular things I get asked about in the book a lot. So we do have these stained glass ceilings, which um, are a little bit more about the systems and structures. Some are intentional because of our theology, but most of them are actually unintentional about our culture, some of the practices we've inherited, some of the phrases we use, some of the ways we do church that send an unfortunate and unintended message about what women are allowed or have the capacity to do or not do in our churches. Mm -hmm. Um, The sticky floor, on the other hand, are those things within women ourselves that stick our feet to the floor and sort of keep us from advancing up the leadership ladder, so to speak, because we're holding ourselves back. And that has to do with more about our mentality, uh, the way we think about opportunities, the way we measure ourselves, the standards we hold ourselves to. In fact, one of the research pieces that I just found so fascinating from the book is... uh, 
the way that men and women apply for jobs differently. And so okay. when uh, men and women look at a job opportunity, whether it's a staff role, you know, a secular job, a volunteer role in their church, whatever it is, there's an opportunity ahead of you. When a guy looks at the job description or the role requirements, and he feels 60% confident he can do the job. So if there's 10 things, he feels good about six of them, four he's like never done before or doesn't know what they are. He feels 60% confident about the job. He's going to apply for it. He's pretty sure he's going to crush the interview. He'll get the job. He'll figure it out as he goes. You know, he'll call his dad or he'll Google it or they'll train him or he'll wing it. You know, whatever it is, he's going to be great. When a woman looks at that job description, more often than not, now this isn't every woman, obviously, but the research points to most women when they look at that, they need to feel confident about 100%, all 10 uh, elements of the job description before she will even apply for the role. It's not even like accepting the role or feel confident in the role, but won't even try to get the job. So Mm. if you think about it from a leadership development standpoint, oh my goodness, we have so many women who could be doing so many more things, but they're not throwing their name in the hat. They're not even letting people know they're interested. If they're be, if they're asked to apply for the job, they disqualify themselves. And to be really honest with you, Jackie, most of us play all sorts of uh, kind of gender cards. We're like, well, my family and my kids and I don't have time. And we have all these excuses that we can really spiritualize. And I'm actually a huge proponent of balance and soul health and caring for your kids and all of that. So there is a mm-hmm. season for everything. But sure. I am guilty, just like I know a lot of my friends are, for using those as excuses because we didn't know how to grow into a higher level of leadership. We didn't know how to take on an opportunity that felt bigger than what we knew we could accomplish. And if we couldn't do it, awesome. If we we couldn't be perfect from the very first day. We didn't mm-hmm. even want to try. We felt like that was a disqualifier. Yeah. And that is just the opposite of the way God works with us. He wants us to stretch ourselves. He wants us to take a step of faith. He doesn't want to overstretch. Or he doesn't want to sign up for something dumb. But most of the women I see limit themselves because they think of adding on new responsibilities as widening their plate of responsibility. Rather than what a leader does, a leader thinks, how do I grow to a higher level of leadership in order to spread my wings to oversee a higher role of responsibility? Mm. It's a totally different mindset. It's not adding more plates that you're spinning. It's actually going up a level and being in charge of the entire buffet and managing it differently. It's a different mindset. It's a different thought process. And those sticky floor mindsets really hold us back from bringing our best to ministry, from contributing in the kingdom, and from growing into our full calling. I love how you describe that. I love that imagery because I know I've said it. I know I've heard other women say it like, well, I just can't add another ball to juggle, you know? Um, And so I love that you're completely taking that out of the equation and you're saying, no, we're going to figure out how to get above that. And we're going to figure out how um, to grow and to stretch ourselves and those kind of things. And so I love how that's not even the same conversation, you know? And I think that's the conversation that most women are having right now is what plates, what balls do I want to juggle right now Um, in the midst of being tired and under-equipped and all of those things. Exactly. Exactly. It's not possible. (laughs) And as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, I'm guilty of that. Oh yeah, I do that. I do that. So I I love just what you're saying. So could you maybe, outside of getting your book, because that's obviously something that we're going to plug here in a second, um, but what would be your advice for that woman that feels like they are stuck to the ground? They are stuck on the floor. What is Mm. the first step outside of getting the book? (laughs) What would you tell them? Well, you know, I think I probably hit on it a little bit earlier, but I 
really feel like at the end of the day, the only thing that gives us the confidence to lead out in faith is you have to know what your calling is from God himself. Mm -hmm. It's not up to anybody else to make you feel confident. That's something that comes from your walk with the Lord, from knowing his word, from managing your own, you know, junk that we all have, and really speaking truth over yourself. I'm not a big affirmations person where you just, you know, claim all these things for yourself. I don't believe in that, but I do believe God has promises for us. He has freedom for us. He has impact for us. He has destiny and calling for us. And it's our job to lean into that out of our own faith. You know, scripture talks about that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so I think if we don't start leaning into that and realizing that God has a call for every believer, if he didn't, when we accepted him, we would just go to heaven because our salvation is secure and he wants to be with us, but he leaves us here on earth because he wants us to lean into our calling because there's something we're supposed to do. In John 17, when Jesus is finishing up his life, you know, one of his prayers to God is, I thank you that I have completed the task you gave me to do. That is like my vision for my life. I want to know so clearly what God has asked me to do, and I want to go after it so wholeheartedly that the end of my life, whether that's tomorrow or 40 years from now, I want to be able to say, I did what you asked me to do. I think that's Mm -hmm. the model that Jesus gave for us. And I think, unfortunately, so many of us as women, we tend to get sucked into everybody else's agenda. And it could be that all those people are our calling, but we better be answering it because it's our calling, not because it's where we feel needed or because it's where we're getting our dose of people pleasing or because it makes us feel like we're important or that we have control or that we're loved by someone. It has Mm -hmm. to be because that's what God called us to do and we're answering his call and we can put our head on the pillow at the end of the night knowing that we accomplished what he had for us to do that day. If we do that every day, we're going to live a life that accomplishes his call for us at the end of our life. Oh, goodness. That is so good. So I mean, there's nothing else I can add to that. I think that is such a good word to end on, um, that you have got to be in step with the Lord and seeing what He is doing in your life and how He's gifted you. And all of my fear of man issues came straight out as you were talking through all of that. Um, (laughs) um, Let me just speak to you, because I think it is hard in more conservative, complementarian environments. It can be very Mm -hmm. confusing because the conversation, unfortunately, has been really focused on women, what women cannot do rather than on all that women can do. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to remind myself and you, Jackie, and all of our listeners that God's will is never thwarted. And that includes his will for our individual life and the calling he's given us. And so if he has called you to lead or he has called you to be an impact or he's called you to be a spiritual force in this kingdom, then there is nothing that will thwart his plan for you. Mm-hmm. If we stay close to him, we can only self-sabotage. No one else, no church that we're in, no leadership tradition, no uh, culture that's inherited. None of those things can thwart the will that he has for us. And so that's the faith we have to act on. That's what believers through the centuries have done. They've stepped on faith and believed God and took him at his word. And then they've seen miraculous things. And that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for all of the women that I know. I want us to live in the miraculous of leaning into God's calling because that's where the real spiritual fruit and impact is. And that's what he calls us to as believers. 
Yes, absolutely. We want to be women that believe God and actually do what he says, right? Like, and believe that he does big things even through us and absolutely through us. So I just love that final charge. So, okay, Katie, we are out of time. I want to give you a little bit just to kind of plug um, how women can get connected to you. How do they uh, learn from you outside of your book? Where do they order your book? And just kind of give us a little bit of spiels of um, how we're able to learn and grow more just from your wisdom. Sure. Well, thank you. Well, the book is available on Amazon and it's also uh, in audible form if you like to listen to books instead. <laughs> it's not me reading it, but it's not too bad. I've been oh, told. I love your voice <laughs> and, your, and your picture. You just look like so fun. So. Oh, thank you. Um, and it's also in Barnes and Noble stores all across the country. So if you want to pop in there, it's in the Christian section. So any of those ways, you can definitely get the book. And then you can follow me on social media. It's at Katie Cole. That's spelled K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E. And then I also have a website that's got several resources for women. I have a theological cheat sheet that I reference in the book that's really helpful in understanding the many different views there are on this theological issue. Uh, we do have a Facebook group for women in ministry leadership. So if you serve in a local church as a leader of any kind, paid or unpaid, you can sort of join the conversation with us there. It's called Ministry Chick. Um, and we try to highlight role models who are leading out in ministry and connect people um, from other churches who might be serving in similar ways as you, trying to help us all build our networks because those tend to be two main barriers to women growing in leadership is having enough role models and having enough people in their same role networking together. Mm, yeah. And then um, I put out a lot of content on social media and um, on, you know, Facebook, and we're ramping up a lot more of that now that the book has done so well. We know there's, you know, kind of a hunger for these sorts of things. So we've got some master classes coming out. I've got a Bible study that I'm in the works of putting together. So uh, stay tuned for all of those things. So please follow me on social media and you'll get the updates there. Yes, you definitely want to get in on, I know I've already learned so much in the Facebook group with the Ministry Chick Facebook group. Um, they're having a conversation about mentoring and what that looks like. And so um, just, again, so much wisdom that we have in you. And so we are thankful that you're in our tribe. We're thankful that God has allowed this avenue in this conversation and for you to be in it. I know um, myself and so many others have already learned so much and are just so thankful for the road that you've paved ahead. And so uh, we want you to know we are thankful for you and I'm just so excited to see how God is going to open up even more avenues and roads for you to follow him and be stretched um, and not on the floor. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Katie. And I will make sure to put all of your connection points in the show notes. And um, again, we are cheering you on and so, so thankful for you. Well, thank you, Jackie. And thanks for having me on the show. And I appreciate all you're doing in the kingdom. You have been listening to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in kingdom mission. Thanks for listening.